Awakened Reality Podcast, JFK Assassination. Wow, so Bill just played me a, uh, a dictation yep. that JFK made shortly after the, assa- the assassination of DM, um, where he, he sounded tired, he sounded sad. Dejected. Dejected. Um, and he, he kind of gave himself blame for too easily giving the go-ahead for the um, the coup, and maybe I, I think I sensed a little bit of um, regret that he didn't have as kind of good a handle on it yeah. as as he maybe should have. Like he, he really, it seems like he felt that he had personal responsibility for DM's death. Well, I mean, think about it in response to like what happened with the Bay of Pigs mm-hmm. and how he felt after that. Yeah, it's like he feels like he messed up again. Right. It's like. You know, fool me once, blame on you. Fool me twice, mm-hmm. you know, shame on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for a guy trying to do the right things, mm-hmm. you know, and and continuously, you know, finding that um, no matter what he seems to try to do, yeah, it always seems to kind of work out because things are happening kind of what he believes would be behind his back, and we'll find out actually kind of might mm-hmm. have been behind his back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing um, thing to listen to because you have JFK with the the weight of the world on his shoulders, and then you know, and all this sadness. Mm-hmm. But then the sound of his son kind mm-hmm. of running up and laughing, and you know, interrupting him near the end of the of the um, audio. Now we may be able to to link this, but if not, you're just gonna look up on Google. Yeah, just look it up. It's JFK's memoir dictation. On the assassination of Diem, D-I-E-M. Yeah, it's... You'll find it. It's a recording. It's uh, on uh, millicenter.org. Yeah. yeah, look that up. It's worth yeah. listening to. All right, so we better get going. Mm-hmm. Jay, and we took a little bit of a break. So a break. We're, now we're drinking... A uh, break. Corona. Yeah, the old oldie but a goodie. Mm-hmm. This is kind of our standby. This, If yeah. there is an official beer of the Awakened Reality... Deep History Podcast, I would say this is it. It might be. It might be. It, you know, and, and you'll be shown a bunch of beers. We have to, honestly, we're holding back a little bit. We're not mm-hmm. doing what we're supposed to do. We should be getting different beers every single week. We, I, we've generally done that. Yeah, but we can't But ever, this is kind of like... Still be like, when we didn't get another beer, we'll have to go back to our, our Corona. Yeah. But I think what we'll do is, is, again, we'll spend our own money... We're not asking for money. We don't care. But we will spend our own money. Send us whiskey. To do it, yeah. Ooh, that would be good. I thought yeah. you hated whiskey. Oh, I, I'll drink it if they send it. Oh, seriously? I thought you couldn't. I thought it would make you sick to your stomach. Depends. Southern Comfort I can drink. Really ice cold. Like ice, ice, ice cold. Uh-huh. I can drink Southern Comfort. Okay. But I had a little falling out with Jeremiah Weed bourbon. Uh, yeah, no. Can't drink that anymore. No, can't drink that stuff. Man. It's tough. But if, 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 if people are actually out there to kind of dig what we're doing... You ever had it? a good Manhattan? Um, I never even had a Manhattan. <laughs> okay. All right, let's keep going. Too many beers. Go ahead. Let's go. Okay. JFK and the Vietnam War. Yes, sir. So we're now we're talking about kind of his involvement. Yeah. Mainly kind of... Because his involvement was actually he expanded the number of advisors that we had there up to 16,000. 16,000 16, advisors. Advisors, not military people, although they were kind of involved militarily. They engaged, and it proves yeah. out there that they did engage while they were there. Mm-hmm. But I'm really talking about where his mind was in 1963 leading up to when he was assassinated. So um, let's just, really in this section I have several different quotes from him, and then you know commentary, and yep. we'll just kind of go through it and then... You know, we'll see what we think. So, on April 1st, 1963, 
or I'm sorry, in, in April of 1963, JFK told Averill Harriman that the U.S., quote, must seize upon any favorable moment to reduce our involvement in Vietnam, although he admitted that the moment might yet be some time away. So I think that was really in April, maybe it was when he really started thinking, like, you know, this isn't really working out. Mind you, this was not communicated to the American people. No. Okay? Because I'll refer back to a an interview that Walter Cronkite had with Kennedy where he mm-hmm. basically says something completely different. But, but that's not, I mean, there are several quotes from different people within his administration saying that he wanted to get out. Mm. So it's not like it's just one person. No, no. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe he was saying, you know, to present a strong front. And maybe actually sure. this next quote might explain, you know, what he said to, to okay. Walter Cronkite. So um, there was another person, O'Donnell, um, I'm not sure who that is. I don't have it written down here. I'm sorry. But O'Donnell, whoever that is, I'm sure if we looked it up, we could figure that out, um, said that um, Kennedy was having a conversation with him where he said that um, Kennedy now agreed that there was a need for a complete withdrawal from Vietnam. But, quote, I can't do it until 1965 after I'm reelected. If I tried to pull out completely now from Vietnam, we would have another Joe McCarthy scare on our hands, but I can do it after I'm reelected. So we better make damn sure that I am reelected. Okay, so let me stop. Mm-hmm. You know, just when you think mm-hmm. somebody's doing the right things because of the right things, mm-hmm. politics step in. I mean, God damn it, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do the right thing, do the right thing. The fact that Kennedy waited until after he got reelected to do the right thing mm-hmm. was the wrong thing. Because if he would have pulled out, history would have changed. He might have been killed still. It might have been another reason for him to get killed. Mm-hmm. But he didn't quote that there. He quoted the fact that he wanted to get reelected. Now, maybe that's him thinking in the long term. I want to do many good things for many people down the line. Mm-hmm. I think that's how most people think when they think about getting reelected. Right? But I mean, but there's got to be another side that says when you have the ball in your hand and you can make a difference right then and right there. That's true. That's true. Make so, it. Make the decision then. Because, I mean, I guess there's both sides of the fence, right? I mean, but Jesus, man, what happened if he did? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of understand where he's coming from because most people thought that his getting reelected in 64 was a bit of a foregone conclusion. They thought that okay. if nothing changed, he was going to get elected or get reelected. But what he, I think there are two things going on here. One is he's thinking that if he does this, in in late 63 that he's not going to get reelected. Say this to the mother of however many Vietnam soldiers were killed between mm-hmm. that time and the time he got reelected. Yeah, and but is that the most important thing in the world? See, I have a little more sympathy for Kennedy here because I, I completely And completely again, I'm not showing my opinion. I'm just taking both sides like we promised yeah. we would. Right? Yeah, no, I I mean I agree with you in general you know, I in general I agree with you. If you're the president, you got to do what's right. That's your time to utilize your power. But I mean, later on tonight, we're going to talk about you know JFK and the military and how he was essentially he was the one person standing between the military and and their um, desire for for beginning a, a nuclear war. And so I, I do think that Kennedy felt that for the sake of the world, not even for his sake, but for the sake of the world. He needed to main. He needed to be reelected. He needed to kind of maintain his position, which was essentially the one person kind of presenting a um, sane view of what should be done from a foreign policy standpoint. I think what he was thinking was this: us being in Vietnam with our sixteen thousand advisors is not a good situation. It's a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like if I don't get reelected. Like the 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 results of that will be so horrific 
that I can't bring these people back, but as soon as I get reelected, I will. I, I do think there's an argument on that side. There's got to be an argument on, on, on both sides. I mean, because, you know, I, I um, being a veteran mm-hmm. and, and not believing in, in the Vietnam War um, and all of the, you know, individuals that uh, went in and everything that happened, you know, in Vietnam regarding like, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen so much video about how, you know, the, the soldiers were, were told by their COs that if it moves, it gets killed. Mm. And, it, and it didn't matter. I mean, granted. Well, most of that was after Kennedy. Well, yeah, but granted, it, it was after Kennedy. Why? <laughs> you see a lot. He didn't get us out. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, so, 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 I guess it's a double-edged sword, kind of, because, because you're like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I feel for every single Vietnam War vet who got spat on when they came home, mm-hmm. and called baby killers, and, and this kind of shit happened, and it really wasn't their fault. I mean, you get in. Even the people who killed the babies. No. I, I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they were programmed. I honestly believe mm-hmm. that it was a no-win situation for these guys when they got there, right? Mm-hmm. Because why? Because they see their friend's legs and, and arms being blown off like by a 10-year-old kid who carries a backpack in and just drops it into a... You don't think that leaves somebody in a normal mental state? Well, I don't believe so. Yeah, And so... I think in order to, when you're in a service, you, you'll never understand unless you're in the service. And I don't care what you've done, whether you're administrative, whether you're on front lines, whether you're, you know, you know uh, rangers or whatever you are, you know, Marines, you know. When you go into military basic training even, you're taught, you know, to defend your country no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. And... Even in basic training, you're, you're taught there, there's certain things that happen to everybody in basic training, right? If, if it's for me, it's 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 holding up one of my squad leaders when we decided that we had to we had to bring our squads, um, you know, through through this calisthenic thing because if they didn't, they'd be run out, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, me and another guy, squad leader one and or squad leader three and myself took squad leader two and lifted him up uh-huh. with our arms. And carried him uh-huh. three miles because oh, wow. he could not run. Uh-huh. But we didn't want him to not collect what he you know deserved because of what he did. Yeah, yeah. It was a brotherhood thing. Yeah. So when you have that and you see your brothers being killed. For no reason. For no reason. With a 10-year-old kid. After time. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Because of the camaraderie and the brotherhood you feel, and 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 the, the 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 connection that you have that you'll never feel if you aren't in a service, you would do the same thing. Not because you believe it's 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 good, but because your brothers are the number one most important thing to you. Do you miss being in the service? I in do. Certain ways? Uh, I do. I, I, I really, really do. And t- to this day, I, I still act like I am. And there's not one, I believe, real true patriot in the service that doesn't, when they retire, whether it's after 20 years or four years, mm-hmm. that doesn't still feel like they have to protect if they're really a patriot. Mm-hmm. Right? So, although I've learned more now because I'm awake, I was just like that back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have shot you in the head if one of my guys told me that I, that you were somebody. I'd have believed them. Yeah, yeah. Is that my fault? Maybe. You know, but the thing is, is, is these kids, they, they were killing kids. Sure they were. They were killing innocent people because they were told to do it. Mm-hmm. Because they were shown that if they don't, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. Right? So, they come home, the people don't understand, they're, they, they, they... They spit on these folks and, and, and they tell them that, look at what you've done. You know, and for the rest of their lives now, they have mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress. It wasn't even diagnosed then. Yeah. Go online and, and, and look up 
stories of Vietnam vets on videos under Google. And then you'll understand. Okay? That's the only thing you've got to do. Then you'll understand that the Vietnam War wasn't what, you know, people might have thought. I wasn't there, and maybe I'm pompous to even talk about it. Because, but whatever I feel for them, I wasn't anywhere near them. Mm -hmm. But because when you're a part of that, it, it's like everybody that you meet. Mm -hmm. I haven't met one veteran that I didn't go, "Hey, brother, how you doing?" And and uh, immediate friends, whether they're military in 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 the Marines, the Navy, didn't matter. Uh -huh. You know, I see somebody that I know is in it. We're automatically friends. We're automatically talking like we've known each other. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> it's it's the coolest thing in the world, but it's the saddest thing in the world too, because you'll protect them till 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 you're dead, and and um, when you have to do the wrong things for what you think is the right reason, it sucks. And then to come home and have people do that to you. So how did you end up in the military? Like, did you make a choice to? Well, I think a lot of the reason why a lot of people get you know, brainwashed by this is because, you know, hey, look, I was brought up in a family, and we didn't get into this too much, but I was brought up in a family where I didn't have a lot of discipline, right? Uh -huh. You know, my father was drank too much, and my mom drank, or my mom had two jobs and wasn't around. So we didn't really have a lot of, you know, discipline. And, and something inside me told me when I was 20 years old that I got to stop doing what I'm doing in, in a shithole of Troy, New York, where I lived. And I had to get out and do something. Now, now everybody in Troy hates us. Well, look, it was a shithole back in 1984. Sorry, guys, but it was. <laughs> so I needed to get out. And I didn't know that cognitively. I think that inside, subconsciously, I knew. So I made a decision. My sister was in the Air Force. My brother George was in the Air Force. So I said to myself, I'll go in the Air Force. Right? Uh -huh. You know, and so that's why. And, and, and I think that part of that is the indoctrinate of, of, of what these uh, recruiters look for mm -hmm. are folks like me that needed the discipline, mm -hmm. right? That didn't really understand like... Needed direction. Needed direction. Needed that kind of discipline to kind of go where they were going. Do I regret being in the service? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I learned that dedication. I learned that direction. I learned that uh, that, 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 that thing. Probably the hard hard ability to do hard work. I mean, you're one of the hardest workers I know. And, and the thing is, 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 you know, you get out of it what you put into it, and, and I needed to have something to hold on to. And... That was it, right? When your when your drill instructor, your your training instructor says, you know, on your first day there, where you were up for six hours picking up bags and putting them down, you know, because everybody couldn't pick them up and put them down at the same freaking time, and you're laying in your cot finally with like forty other freaking you know brand new you know airman basics, and 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 you got the the, the TI running through saying. You are part of the most important da 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 da, and all of these kids are looking to grab onto something. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember that moment? Is there a specific moment you? I was laying on my left side, yeah. in a small bunk, in a in a dormitory style room that was just probably like a line of people. Line of like thirty cots on Young one side. People. Line on another side of thirty cots. The center, a, a row of a floor in the center where the drill instructor would walk by. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and sure enough, you know, that's what they did. And it was like that moment mm -hmm. where I said, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, finally, right? Something to, something to believe in, something, to, something that's important, right? Yeah. Something that's really, really important. And, you know, when you grab onto that, you believe that the people that bring you are telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. you, you, you believe that because why would they lie to you? Mm -hmm. Then, you know, good thing for me. That I didn't make the decision because I had the opportunity to become a, a, like a, lifetime. a paratrooper, whether they call oh. it a paratrooper, because they asked us in basic training how many people would like to try out to be part of it. And I was like, and I remember it's so funny because I'm standing there and I'm looking at these guys and like they're all up there at the top of this hill on this one track, like doing crazy stuff. And I'm going, boy, I could probably do that. So paratrooper jumping out of airplanes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you I, ever jumped out of an airplane? No. But I, dude, I mean, I was like, I so wanted to, but I was like. I mean, I, I. I I think you would do it even now. I, You're I, not afraid of oh, it. Oh, I would love it. There's so many things I would have done. But then I went, yeah, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make that decision. I'm kind of glad I didn't now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you, you get out and, and, you're, and, and, you, and you don't lose that. You don't lose that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's my thing. Anyway, mm -hmm. tangent. Nope, yeah, good tangent. Um, okay, a little more testimony regarding um, Kennedy's intentions. 
Um, Senator Mike Mansfield told newsmen that following a White House leadership meeting, Kennedy had told him that he that Kennedy agreed that there was a need for quote a complete withdrawal from Vietnam. And again, he told Mansfield that he couldn't do it until after being reelected. Um, Which goes back to why he would have said what he said in the Cronkite interview. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he was just kind of he was kind of playing the same card until he got reelected, and then he was going to kind of you know change. Yeah. Um, there were plans for the complete withdrawal of U.S. troops from Vietnam drawn up in the spring of '63. Mm-hmm. So there were kind of they were already planning about. It. Although that's kind of normal. They you know they. I'm sure they come up with. There all was all also sorts of there's also a video out there of a, of a speech at a press meeting that the that uh, John F. Kennedy had, where he presented the fact that he wanted um, a thousand uh, troops gone mm-hmm. uh, by the end of 1963, and all troops out by the end of 1965. Basically, I think that was him kind of saying, "When I get reelected." Kind yeah. of putting out the subliminal message to the people. I don't think he said. I don't think he he was quoted as saying, you know, prior to yeah. his death that he was going to pull out everybody. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. He said it at okay. this meeting. Look it up online. Uh, there's a, a meeting with the press club. It's video. Okay. They asked him questions, and and he said, you know, that yes, I'm going. I, I the plan is to have a thousand out by yep. the end of 1963, and the rest of the soldiers out by, you know, the end of 65. Well, I mean, he actually issued an order for that, right? The NASM oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 263 yep, yep, good, good, called yep. for the withdrawal of yep. 1,000 U.S. military personnel by the end of December six of 63. Yep. Um, and on November 20th, <laughs> two days before his death, 1963, JFK approved an accelerated withdrawal program which was really the, that was the plan to carry out um, the promise to end American milit- the, the American military presence in Vietnam. So things were kind of again like so many other things that we we've talked about. You know, as you're getting into November, the month of his death, he was moving in these directions more strongly. Right, which, which, which goes which re which re brings up the uh, the idea that we talked mm-hmm. about. About Mary Pinchot Meyer and the fact that he did these—if he did these psychedelic drugs—and how it made him feel. Yeah, it's like he was drastically changed. Yeah, he was, you know, transforming real quickly, and then it's like right before he was assassinated. Yep. So the people, if 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 there were people who, you know, within the government who, di- who were involved in the assassination, maybe they didn't like some of the stuff he started saying in October, <laughs> November, and they thought, there's let's a lot get of, on this. we yeah. got to deal with it. And this. like I said earlier, there's a lot of people that believe that the American University speech was the, the nail in his coffin. Yeah. I right. mean, it was probably already in, in plan by that time, but still, yeah. So here's an interesting um, item. So on November 20th, the same, the same day we just discussed, two days before Kennedy's death, in Honolulu, um, mm. specifically Camp Smith, there was a conference um, on Vietnam policy. And actu- it actually began on November 20th, and it continued through the 21st. So it was like a day and a half where these people sat and talked about what they're going to do in Vietnam. And it, it involved some real, some real big players. It involved Rusk, who was somebody in Kennedy's cabinet, uh, McNamara, who was, you know, many ways kind of the architect of mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. Vietnam War, both under Kennedy and um, and uh, Lyndon Johnson. It involved Henry Cabot Lodge, we've already talked about, yep. the ambassador to South Vietnam, and then a few other guys, Taylor, Felt, and Harkins. I don't know them quite as well, but, you know, big wigs. So what it sounds like what happened at this conference was that they took Kennedy's um, order, or, or what he had drafted for this um, kind of executive order, the what's known as NSAM 263, mm-hmm. that's Kennedy's version, mm-hmm. and they, they started revising it and turning it into what eventually became NSAM 273. And this, and this was an order which ultimately was signed by Lyndon Johnson four days after 
-hmm. the death of Kennedy. So essentially they took what Kennedy had come up with, 263, and turned it into 273, which was what ultimately was signed by Lyndon Johnson. But what's interesting about it is that these two were very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, Wait till you hear this. I mean, essentially they undid yes. the gist of what Kennedy was trying to accomplish. So um, a guy called Fletcher Prouty, who was um, the chief of special operations for the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President Kennedy. Who will you will find in the, in the probably distant future mm -hmm. is very instrumental with knowledge and information regarding the JFK killing. Just sort of. Yeah. So what he had to say about this was really a question. He says, how did it happen? This is a quote from him. How did it happen that the subject of discussion in Hawaii before JFK was killed was a strange agenda that would not come up in the White House until after he had been murdered? <laughs> Who could have known beforehand that this new non-Kennedy agenda would be needed in the White House because Kennedy would no longer be president? Yeah. President Kennedy would not have sent this cabinet to Hawaii to discuss that agenda. Nope. He had issued his own agenda for Vietnam on October 11th, 1963, mm -hmm. NSAM 263, mm -hmm. and he had no reason to change it. Yeah. If JFK had no reason to send them to Hawaii, who did and why? So. Well, I mean, it wasn't changed until after he died. No, but it was changed like... I mean, essentially, it sounds like the same way we're talking about I mean, it dovetails with what we're talking about, DM. Eight days before Kennedy was killed, DM was killed, and Lyndon Johnson is talking about, like, oh, they came to me <laughs> yeah. to kill him. So it sounds like there were already kind of things happening that JFK didn't have a hand in eight days before his death. And here we are two days before his death. These people, all of whom ultimately ended up working with Lyndon Johnson, are off in Hawaii essentially changing. I mean, you could, I guess you could make the argument that they had their own opinions and they were drafting something up yep. to like ideas to share with Kennedy. That's one way ultimately to share with Kennedy. And, and if you think about it in a that's one way of looking in at a it. democratic society, why wouldn't that happen? If yeah. people who are who are uh, trusted by the president mm -hmm. to read and then advise of changes if it has to happen, that's the democratic process. Let's try to make that work out. That's one way to look at it, right? But it's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? It is. Two days before his death. I mean, if they felt this way, if they had these opinions, yeah. Oh why, yeah. Why didn't they do it back in October? Yeah. And, why well, not at the beginning yeah. of November? Why right before yeah. he died? Well, I mean, and the other thing is this: I'm going to put this out to people who want to do a little bit of research. When we talk about coincidences. Look up, and I, and I don't know if this is true or not, because I, I, I found this out a long time ago. I mean, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I really never did follow up on it. Uh-huh. Did Johnson have the drapes in the Oval Office <laughs> Heard about this. changed to a different color before Kennedy was killed? I don't know the answer to that, but people should look into that. Yeah, because I've heard, maybe, of that. I've heard of that. Maybe into it. maybe it's true, but if there's one person out there that wants to go, ooh, that's a really cool thing to kind of dig into. That's uh -huh. one thing, right? That's, that's one thing. I mean, spend eh, an hour. It good, might take an hour, but good, still, it might take 25 hours to be quite <laughs> honest with you, because yeah, there's so much crap and disinformation out there. But yeah, yeah. you know, don't spend an hour, honestly. And, and, and all apologies, but one hour is not going to cut it. Sorry, you know, fine. you need to spend a lot more time than that trying to find out whether this is that's true, true or not. Because you're right, people have dug into that before. I'm right. I mean, so it. if you really want to dig into it, that's one thing. Because if you want to add that up or, or compare that to what Steve and I do, uh -huh. it's one thing. If there's somebody who doesn't do anything out there, you want to look at that, let us know. Mm -hmm. Because boy, you know what the what you're going to find about this whole thing we're doing here isn't just about trying to find truth or, or, mm -hmm. or awake or awake being awoke and uh, and consciousness and all this. It's about how many coincidences does it take? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? When you have common sense and you're thinking with a critical mind, how many coincidences does it take for you to say, I, I don't know if I believe that, that, that the narrative is correct. Uh -huh. Right? So with what we're talking about and what we're going to hear about, if that's just another coincidence 
why would somebody do that? I mean, why would somebody change the drapes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, ahead of time. Behind the president's back if he didn't know something. Uh-huh. Prove us wrong. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, w- we're going to talk a little later about kind of more of the differences between those those two orders. But yeah. But an interesting thing is, is that um, supposedly, um, according to the official record, it says that the president reviewed the discussions of South Vietnam, which occurred in Honolulu, um, with Ambassador Lodge, with Henry Cabot Lodge. When? Well, that's the big question. So the question is, like, when would he have done that? Um, so it, remember that um, the conference took place on the 20th and part of the 21st, and the draft um, of what they kind of came up with was written on the evening of the 21st. So the evening of when JFK died. So JFK and Jackie left Washington aboard Air Force One um, for their trip to Texas on the 21st. And so the day that the conference kind of concluded, and on the 21st, they were essentially en route from Texas, um, from Washington, and then they were just going from one event to another. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were on a campaign, a whirlwind campaign tour there. And so at what point did Lodge discuss this? I mean, Lodge was in Hawaii, Kennedy was traveling all around um, Texas, and you have to understand, this wasn't the day of the cell, of cell phones, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I mean, I don't know, in, in 1963, was there, like when JFK went up in Air Force One, I mean, he did, he couldn't call somebody, could he? I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on technology, but was there... I don't believe they had sat phones back then. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was an ability to call oh, from right. an airplane, was there? I mean, they could send a telegram, I guess. But I don't think sending telegrams back and forth isn't... Um, That's interesting isn't that's not a discussion no no that's an interesting question so i don't know i mean like in what way could he have had a meaningful discussion with lodge um i mean we'll just throw that out there is there i mean again this is something somebody talk about stuff people could investigate or maybe you have something right there it says perhaps the most powerful evidence Indicating that select senior administrative officer or officials and senior military personnel may have had foreknowledge of the plot to assassinate the 35th president is found in a draft of National Security Action Memorandum mm-hmm. number 273. Yeah. There are several smoking guns, but the only, but the one that initially stands out is the most obvious, is the date of the draft, which was subsequently signed by. Uh, McGeorge Bundy, Special Assistant to the President for National Security. Mm-hmm. The draft was written and dated November 21st, 1963, less than 24 hours before the assassination. Yeah. It was ostensibly the result of the meetings that took place the previous day at the Honolulu Conference. And this is the text of the draft that I have here. Yeah. So. www.jfklancer.com. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, is this like a smoking gun? I mean, I don't know. But it's uh, it, it's just odd yeah. that something that, that kind of ran counter to all the testimony that we have for what JFK was thinking mm-hmm. would be kind of written up by his some of his you know people who had big roles in this area. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, but were they really answering to Kennedy at that point? It's hard to say. Um, so, uh, um, let's see. So, um, just to kind of conclude, or not quite to conclude Kennedy on, on Vietnam, but, um, but, uh, the one counter argument against like where people say that um, Kennedy was trying to get out of Vietnam, and I do believe that. That's yeah. my personal belief. Yeah, me too. But when people argue against that, some people say, oh, no, he wasn't trying to get out. 
of Vietnam, he would have been exactly the same as Lyndon Johnson. He would have kind of raised. Um, what's their What's their support there. to that claim? Well, what they claim is is that uh, they have a different take on his Order Two Sixty Three, where he was removing a thousand, yep. um, a, a, a thousand of our advisors there. What they say is they say that uh, that Kennedy was um, concerned about the fact that DM wasn't kind of playing ball with us, and so they think that what he was trying to do with this order was to indicate to DM that we were not pleased with him. So it was a sign. Removing a thousand um, advisors was was intended as a sign to DM that, listen, if you don't get on board with us, we're not going to be there. We're not going to be supporting But wasn't you. DM killed before that? No, because he signed... Um, he signed that in October, before DM was killed. He signed his NASM two seventy two sixty three. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that yeah, was in, the, okay. in I think early early October. Yeah, October second. Yeah. Um, and so they they thought that um, the argument is, is that he did that to, well, like I already said, as a sign to DM yeah. to make him feel that unless he gets on board, we're going to be gone and you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And so, yep. and they think that's all that it represents. Although, I don't really buy that just because there's so much testimony from Kennedy that he wanted to mm -hmm. pull out. I mean, it may be, I think what maybe is possible is that it was assigned to DM to get your act together. Assigned yeah. to him that we're going to be gone. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. get your act together. But that still means that we're going to be gone. Yeah. It doesn't mean, oh, you know, we're going to pull out a thousand just so you yeah. now you'll play ball and then we're going to put 200,000 people there. I mean, I don't know that I buy that. Yeah. It, well, it, you know, the record confirms that the, I'm reading this from mm -hmm. the website. Yeah. The record confirms that the first and only president to ever review the discussions conducted at Honolulu Conference mm -hmm. and further discuss them with Ambassador Lodge in Washington was LBJ. Yep. Yep, that's true. How do we know that? JFK never survived Dallas. He never returned to Washington to meet with Lodge or anyone else. He returned to Washington in the casket. The only person to whom this draft document could therefore refer by implication is LBJ. Although he was not yet president at the time it was written, LBJ is the one who met with Ambassador Lodge in Washington and is the one who signed the final version of NASM 273 on the 26th. Four days after the assassination. There you have it. So, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, you can argue about what JFK's intentions were, but, I mean, when you look at his overall foreign policy, mm -hmm. and you see how concerned he was not to get bogged down in Cuba, um, and not to get mm -hmm. too involved in other places, and he generally was always pushing back against... Um, Kind of military solutions. Yep. It does seem, um, it seems unlikely to me that Kennedy would have done what Lyndon Johnson did, which was kind of blow the war up. Yep. Well, and, and look at a couple of things, and it's really good. A couple of things you just said. One, the fact that he, the whole thing about the military, when Kennedy was first nominated, mm -hmm. You know, Dwight D. Eisenhower sat down with him for like hours and spoke to him, mm -hmm. and then gave his last address about the military-industrial complex. Yeah. You, you think about that, and, and you know, the good thing about about being a critical thinker and using logic is you you kind of have to understand, right? I mean, all of the other tangible things mm -hmm. that most folks don't think about make a difference when you when you try to to form an opinion based on something that might not particularly be an empirical evidence type uh, fact mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. all of these things he did uh, brought about a, a pattern of behavior that would not lead to a certain decision mm -hmm. so the fact that that people might say oh he didn't want to have people out mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of things, right, that you mm -hmm. can look. And, and the good thing is, is when you've got people that do that, in, that, that work, mm -hmm. that's where that information comes into your consciousness where you're saying, yeah, well, I guess. Because if I, I thought this, but now we find out that he wanted this and he wanted that and he wanted this and he wanted mm -hmm. that. So why would these factual things happen yeah. if he didn't want to withdraw? Yeah, I mean, it all fits together. It does. But if you're only looking at one side of this, right, mm -hmm. or if you've only been taught, right, one side of this, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll guarantee you that there's probably 90% of kids that are under 18 years old right now, mm -hmm. if you're even looking at this because we're too old bastards, if you're looking at this and you're going, wow, I never learned this in high school, huh. what's that tell you? Well, I never learned this in high school. What's that tell you? Neither did I. Okay, neither did I. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, okay? There's a reason for that. You'll never be taught it. <laughs> if you're 18 right now and you get married in 20 years, unless something crazy happens, <laughs> your kid will never be taught it. Mm -hmm. Start looking about that. If you're, if you're gonna find out some real truth and you're gonna start being on this path, <laughs> I really hope that by the time you get to be 50, mm -hmm. that your kids are taught the real history and not the bullshit that they sling out to you <laughs> nowadays, right? Well, I know it's crazy when I think back, you know, <laughs> what they taught us. Oh my God! It's like you all know. the most unimportant things. Oh yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. But, but you know, whatever. You know, it is what it is. So what happened with the Vietnam War under Lyndon Johnson? So, I mean, Kennedy, we have testimony saying that he was, mm -hmm. you know, he essentially wanted to end our involvement there. So what did Lyndon Johnson do? Well, four days after taking office, think about that. Four days after your predecessor is, is murdered. Four days after the drapes were changed. Yeah. Um, Johnson pushed through uh, what's called uh, the National Security Action Memorandum 273, which authorized open-ended covert operations against North Vietnam. Now, uh, hang on. Now, if you were going to get a drink or taking a pee or something, mm -hmm. just listen to this phrase again and just think of the overall ramifications of this phrase. Say it again. Okay. Four days after taking office, Lyndon Johnson pushed through National Security Action Memorandum 273 which authorized open-ended covert operations against North Vietnam. Open-ended covert operations. Mm -hmm. So before that, we were just there officially um, on a, in an advisory um, role. And so this really... Uh, well, what it did was it allowed U.S. ships to engage in not just U.S. ships, but among other things, U.S. ships, mm -hmm. to engage in aggressive intelligence gathering maneuvers in the waters near Vietnam. Yep. And, you know, covert operations on, in, on land as well. But it was the ships that kind of ended up having the big impact. And if you think, this was the first time that an idea like this ever came out of the government, mm -hmm. you're grossly misinformed. Okay. So, imagine though, right? If 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 what I'm saying is true, and I'm not just some psychopath, because I know I'm right. If this kind of covert actions were, you know, enacted way before this, do you think they haven't continued? I mean, Kennedy was killed by our government, and factions of it, fractions of it, people that, in it, people in it. Mm -hmm. and or the mob and or anti-Castro Cubans and or CIA and or mm -hmm. imagine what's going on now and you think you know we pay taxes as, as Americans right it's hard to imagine what's going on now it's harder to know yeah. you, they have more technology to cover their tracks if it happened see the thing is is, is they, they, they count again and I'll go back to it they count on 30 years from now nobody's going to care mm-hmm Right? But we need to know now. We need to learn now. We need to understand what's going on now, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, does it matter in 30 years 
Well, obviously, because they're still holding back information on JFK mm -hmm. <laughs> right now. But yeah, I know. If it doesn't matter, why wouldn't I mean, they just open up about it? There you have it. You know, so yeah. So, um, <laughs> so after Johnson signed that, four days after Kennedy's death, Jesus. U.S. ships were now allowed to engage in aggressive intelligence gathering, which meant they could kind of just go, you know, all around, you know, close to North Vietnam, kind of get, get involved in things. And many believe that this led to the Gulf of Tonkin incident, an incident that we'll talk about, which is what President Johnson used to obtain congressional authorization for a drastic expansion of the war. Imagine that. Let me basically break that down for you in layman's terms. A false flag is a means by which a government can justify reasons to go to war by not making it their decision to do so. They kind of fake an incident. Right. But in other words, what they do is, yes, they fake an incident so that... Or, the, or they make an incident. They, they do take steps to make sure an incident occurs. Right. One or the other. And then blame it on another, mm -hmm. you know, side... Yeah. for lack of a better word, so that the American people will be in an uproar and the American people will make the decision. This way, how ingenious is that? This way, the establishment of the deep state takes no responsibility because what they're doing is they're doing what you are telling them they should do. When you're just blind and <coughs> you don't understand, you're believing... A government that tells you now now this is important because the Gulf of Tonkin incident was bullshit <laughs> bullshit yeah we'll get into the the facts the, the, about that yeah so so you know when when you hear things this is such a classic thing right mm -hmm. you believe what somebody tells you so all of a sudden it's right mm -hmm. and, and then they go into war and kill how many innocent people right so here we go yeah, so uh, just the ramifications of that before we get into the details. Um, at the time of the, the, the Gulf of T Tonkin incident, which was, I think, maybe seven, eight months after Kennedy had died, um, there were 23,000 troops in Vietnam or advisors in Vietnam. And, uh, and so after that, um, through the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which Johnson was able to push through um, Congress, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Johnson was able to increase U.S. military presence all the way up to, including deploying ground combat units, mm -hmm. all the way up to 184,000. Boots on the ground. Yeah, boots on the ground, essentially. So um, the Gulf of Tonkin incident was supposedly a, uh, a confrontation, um, or really it suppo supposedly was... Two separate confrontations um, involving North <clears throat> Vietnam and the United States in the waters um, of the Gulf of Tonkin, mm -hmm. which I haven't looked at a map. I assume it's some Gulf right next to Vietnam, or mm -hmm. you know, on Vietnam. So the original American report blamed North Vietnam for both incidents. So essentially, they said we were out there, you know. Doing our maneuvers. Doing our maneuvers peaceably. Mm -hmm. and um, Outside of the zone. Yeah. Outside of the zone. <clears throat> and North Vietnam just started, their ships came at us and, and started shooting at us. That yep. was the story that was parlayed to um, the United States citizens and led, you know, so essentially everybody then got super upset and they said, mm -hmm. what? We were just out there kind of floating around and the Vietnamese ships came at us and started shooting at us? That's horrible. Let's go to war. Wait, they wouldn't lie to us, Steve. So um, that was the uh, uh, that was the official report back at the time. But in 2005, an international national security um, an internal national security agency historical study was declassified, and it concluded that and we'll start with the second incident. Mm -hmm. um, in the second incident, there were actually no, as in zero. North Vietnamese naval vessels even present. Yeah. So. Oh, and there, there's a document out there as well that you can find if you dig. 
where <clears throat> the person in charge of firing... <laughs> mm-hmm. He was firing at nothing. What was said. Mm-hmm. I'm firing... <laughs> I'm firing. There's nothing out there. I'm firing at nothing. And he was just continuing to say, just keep firing. They were firing to make noise so that they could say there was an incident. And a highly ranked government official went on record in video yeah. to say the same thing. Even including Johnson later in his life. Yeah. So um, so that was the second, yep. supposedly the second attack. Yep. And, I, and then right now, I mean, that's pretty much set in history. There was no... no there nothing. really was no second attack. It was us firing bullets into the ocean. Yeah. It was, um, it, was, it was all... Okay. Without get, really getting into it, folks, this is probably the very first really important part of this podcast where you start to learn about uh-huh. how... How sorted the government was and is, mm-hmm. where they will do whatever they need to do in order to make you believe and make the decision that for they the wrong for the wrong things to happen, right? So, so I hope that that if you decide to not just listen to us and dig for yourself and find this information, you'll find it is true. There was no Gulf of Tonkin. There, there, there was no no attack. <laughs> this was a false flag to facilitate getting into a full blown war with North Vietnam. That's, that a handful of people wanted. Yeah, that's all it was. That's all it was. Now, when you think about that and you find out that that's true, think about this: the fifty eight thousand patriots in the United States of America. Who, who vowed to, to fight for the United States and you were forced to go into war and kill for nothing. How can you sit and, and, and think about that and not say, boy, that... It must have just happened then, and, and then they figured out that it was a bad thing to do, and, and we're not doing it anymore. Without ever public, publicly acknowledging that it was a bad thing. Oh, that's good. Um, so in terms of the first attack, it yeah. sounds like what happened there was, there actually was a, a um, North Vietnamese um, <clears throat> ship, but what we did was, this essentially, as... As part of our aggressive intelligence gathering, <laughs> nice dude. We we kind of you know, went up, right up to it, and then we fired first. Well, let me see. I thought I had. Uh, um, oh, here we go. Um, so what happened was, um, on the the first incident on August second of nineteen sixty four, Captain Herrick. He's captain of the USS Maddox, ordered the gun crews to open fire if the boats approached within 10,000 yards. So then they kind of drove, they, you know, went up to them. <laughs> and then they fired um, three rounds to, war, to quote, warn off the uh, North Vietnamese boats. But this initial action, as in when they fired... <laughs> You know, not at the boats because they weren't trying to sink the. It's a warning, boats. warning, warning. The warning, you know, but warning these shot, warning yeah. shots were not reported by the Johnson administration, and the John the Johnson administration insisted that the Vietnamese boats fired first. <laughs> that was the official story. Hey, wait a minute! Are you trying to say that they lied? I am. I'm. I'm not trying. I'm saying explicitly that they did not tell the truth. You commie bastard. How can you say that your United States uh-huh. would lie to you? Because they do again and again and again. No, that makes you seem like like a real radical person, Steve. Are you sure that's the fact? Yeah, well, you know what? If anybody can prove otherwise, let us know. Um, if you have video footage of the, <laughs> the North Vietnamese boat kind of charging down, barreling at us like Moby Dick, Towards Captain Ahab. And any other <laughs> any other thing is, the second one was proven that it was fake. So yeah, I know. What makes you freaking think? Honestly, now. Yeah, if you're use, being realistic. Use your critically thinking brain, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> really? 
Yeah, so that's kind of what that's kind of what happened. So um, so anyway, so there was this there was this event or this incident, and then the um, the populace of the United States, the citizenry, kind of got all upset that, that the North Vietnamese boats were attacking our boys. And then they made the decision to do what? To ramp up the war. Oh. That's when. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's when. Uh, Actually, I don't have the, the what it was called, the, the, or I know it was the the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution is what gave us the authorization, gave Johnson the authorization to, which was increase. overwhelmingly mm-hmm. agreed to in Congress. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like a partisan thing. No, they all it, it, it was it. done, done, done. And so from that point onward, there was a um, significant buildup in Vietnam. And U.S. troop numbers peaked in 1968, with Johnson approving an increased maximum number of U.S. troops at 549,500. And that's actually a massive number. I mean, think about it. At the time, I mean, what was the population of, of the United States at the time? Maybe like <clears throat> 250 million? I mean, I don't know. Um, so we're talking, I mean, I'm not that great at math, but... That's a significant percentage of our population over there. I mean, it's crazy. And, and getting to listen to this. That year, the U.S. spent $77.4 billion on the war. And in current day dollars, that, that's the equivalent of $557 billion that we were spending in Vietnam. I mean, think about that. I mean, right now we're in the middle of a, uh, you know, to date the podcast, um, we're in the middle of the shutdown, which Bill told me just ended. But what people were arguing about, and we shut we shut the government down over five point seven billion dollars. We shut the government down for like forty days. We're talking five hundred and fifty seven billion dollars. Not only that, not only that. Uh-huh. I'm not Democratic or Republican. But when you compare and contrast 5.2 whatever billion dollars to build a wall, to build a wall, a wall, a wall. Probably not a lot of people are being killed. No, but probably not. You know, I mean, you know, and so. And it's not an issue. It's not a Republican or Democrat thing because they both shut the government down for five. And they both agree that border security is important. Bottom line is it's semantics and how it goes about it. And one side believes their way is the best. The other side believes their way is the best. Bottom line is, nobody's getting killed. Let's look at... For me, the bottom line is, is that $5 billion in the grand scheme of things... It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a lot of money, but from a United States government perspective, yeah. it's not a lot of money. Well, basically, when you try to, to figure out how much money are we spending on covert military ops that we'll never see but yet we fund through our taxes. Mm-hmm. So when you really think about that, guys, come on, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm not for both sides, but when you look at the amount of money that was spent and the amount of American patriots yeah. that got killed. That's obviously more important than the money, to be clear. You know, you know God damn it, go to a senior center or go to the VA and, and, and find one. Find any Vietnam vet. Isn't it crazy that they're old enough to be in? I mean, you're right. They're, they're senior citizens now. Like, I still picture them as young people, like in Deer Hunter and stuff. I mean, go, go, go yeah, and, right. and, 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 and look at some videos of crowds <laughs> of, of, of these poor folks coming off, you know, planes at airports and people spitting on them and, and, and things. And then... You know, go to your local VA, you know, and, and, and ask the person that's there that can help you find some folks that were in it that might have some some post-traumatic stress and, and, and just say to them, you know, hey, I've done a lot of research and I get it. I understand. I, I do not agree with what happened to you when you came back and I, and I thank you for your service. You know, you'd be surprised at how many of these vets will take that to their grave is one of the most important things they've ever heard in their life.